comes this crouching, scurrying little bipedal hair-covered creature. And it comes out and it always has its arm in front of its face as it goes forward, its left arm, and then its right arm, and it's peeking, twitching, and moving like a little bird. Hey everybody and welcome to the Paranormal Portal Podcast. I'm your host Brent Thomas. Thank you all for joining us and special thank you goes out to all of you who continue to support the podcast and continue to spread the word. Always remember if any of you out there have experiences of your own that you'd like to share, feel free to email me at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com. Again, paranormalportalradio at gmail.com and you too could be a guest on the show. got a phenomenal show lined up for you today folks and this is a a longtime friend of the show Uh, he's made several appearances and all of them have been absolutely amazing and it's incredibly unique because he's bringing his first nations culture and history to the to the discussion and uh, and that's something i am absolutely enamored with and i think these wisdoms need to be readdressed in today's uh search for understanding of these different creatures so ladies and gentlemen Welcoming to the show, Mr. Tom Seawid of Sasquatch Island. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks again for coming back on. Oh, thanks for having me back on. And to the listeners out there, greetings in my language from the Kwakwakiwak people of Northern Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada. It's always been great. You've, you've made a couple appearances so far on the show, and you and I were just talking before we started recording about uh, a lot of other things that you can bring to the table too. And I'm excited to have all of those discussions with you, brother. So thank you again for coming on, on the portal and, and sharing these, these insights and wisdoms. But today we're going to talk about, uh, and the name is new to me since you and I have been talking, but I think we've all heard different variations of the name, but the Bukwas is what you say. Yeah. Bukwas, uh, otherwise known as uh, stick people to some Indian tribes in North America or the little people. The little people are stick Indians and, uh, and as well as Pukwudgies you and I were talking about before. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a phenomenon that is literally as old and widespread as the Bigfoot phenomena as well. I mean, there's nations, countries all around the world have the stories of the little people. And these, these, this is cultures separated by geography and space and distance. And yet they still have the same stories, much like the Sasquatch or Bigfoot phenomena. And so Tom, can you, can you kind of explain what is a Bukwas? Well, Bukwas to the Kwakwakiwak tribe, our people, first thing we like to clarify is it is not our Sasquatch. Some other British Columbia tribes refer to their Sasquatch on the coast of British Columbia as Bukwas or Bukwis or Bukwis. But my tribe from northeastern Vancouver Island, Jonakwa, is our Sasquatch, the big one. Bukwas is the little one. It's apparently from the spiritual realm. So mm. they say that Bukwas, if you do see it, it's not really good to see them because they're small, they're bipedal, they're covered in hair, they have a greenish tinge to it, according to some of the elders I've spoken to. But what they say is that Bukwas is the keeper of the ghost world because he's from the mm-hmm. spiritual realm. And if you're a human and you don't follow your teachings, so you end up drowning. So what did you do? You failed. You didn't. You went and traveled when there was too much current or the wind and current were going against each other or there was too much wind. 
or you swam when it was too cold and too far, you screwed up, you died, you drowned. And the Bukwus is said to capture your spirit. And he holds it for eternity in the ghost world. So basically, I guess it's like a punishment if you drowned and you die and, you know, you go to the Bukwus realm. But the Bukwus is from that ghost realm, the spiritual world. And he's said to be very lonely, I guess. And he's always out there watching us like the Jonacha watches our children to make sure they behave. But they say the Bukwus is all around us. And if you're ever in the forest, according to the old stories, and you got lost, pretty soon you're getting panicky, you're getting scared, cold, afraid, you're running and tripping and falling and scraping yourself and bruising yourself, and you're panting and puffing and sweating, and you're just all discombobulated because you're lost. And all of a sudden you part the tree branches on a hillside and you look down from the hill or mountain, and there's the smoke from the fires where you came from, your cabin, your tent, your boat in an anchorage, or your longhouses, big houses of days of old. Well, you look and you go, oh, good, there's the smoke from my fam fires. And, you know, so you know you're not really, really lost, but you end up getting tired and you go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And when you wake up, your stomach's waking you up, rumbling because you're so hungry. And you look and there before you is a platter, like a piece of bark or a chunk of wood or a rock. And it's laid out with delectable, beautiful foods that you're used to. For mm -hmm. me, it would be smoked fish, fried halibut fresh berries from the Pacific Northwest, clams, cockles, oysters. And all of a sudden you jump at that platter while you're lost and you start eating it because you're so hungry. Well, you're never supposed to do that because you've given up, given into your temptation, your weakness and your fears. You've eaten the food that that bus put out for you. And as you're eating it and shoving it in your mouth, you notice that you feel things and you notice the tastes are wrong and you look and that beautiful food that you put in your mouth isn't what you thought it was it's now worms and oh. centipedes and snakes and maggots and grubs and you're spitting it out and, oh it's <laughs> terrible uh -huh. but you've given in to your weakness and your fear you've eaten and sampled the ghost food of the bus and now just like a drowned soul he captures you and you part those branches again because you're now you're really afraid because you've eaten given in to the bus there's the smoke from your fires and you run down that hill as fast as you can, jumping and tripping and sliding. And you run for over an hour and you're huffing and puffing and sweaty and you part the branches and you look down and you're further away than when you first started uphill. Oh, my God. Because you gave in to temptation and weakness, you sampled the ghost food of Bukus. And it's next to impossible to get back to the warmth, love, companionship of your family's fires. So in other words, nowadays we use that same story. Uh, I learned it from uh, one of my cousins who's a very famous Kwakwakiwak artist named Wayne Alford, Alfred, A-L-F-R-E-D. He's my I think, about fourth cousin, mm -hmm. but he's a world famous Kwakwakiwak carver. And he did an interview on Sasquatches and Bukus probably 20 years ago. And I remember him telling that story. Not as long, mind you, but sure. he told it and he said, nowadays, the Bukus is all around us in our villages, our towns and our cities. And the modern day Bukus is the temptation of gambling, alcoholism, drugs. And the biggest Bukus of all is the drug dealers. So you have to be very cautious of that. You know, if you are going to sample alcohol and uh, gambling, then 
do it wisely. Mm-hmm. Don't give in to the temptation of the bakwas where it controls you, where you're in that evil world of control because of your weakness and temptation or fears. So to us, you know, the bakwas is all around us, native and non-native, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. gambling. You look at the casinos and you see people crying at the parking lot or the oh. money machine. They're pounding buttons because they can't get any more money out. But now they're crying because there goes the rent payment, the food for the children, the diapers, the formula for milk. So that's what the modern day Bakus is. But for what we're talking about today, we're going back to the old stories. What is Bakus? Mm-hmm. You know, well, it's a hair covered bipedal creature. And when we dance it in the potlatch ceremonies or a performance where we share our traditional uh, crests, which are our are have come from our gildas, our family's symbolic box of treasure, which holds our crests, our songs, our everything to our family. Well, every family, pretty much in the Kwakwakiwak, Lehwata tribe, which are south of us, there's four of them, but we have the title, the crest of Bukwus. And when you go to the potlatches and you all of a sudden you might hear, or some families you might hear, And from behind the screen where the chiefs are called Camellias, out comes this crouching, scurrying little bipedal hair-covered creature. A lot of families use ghillie suits and dye it, you know, a little bit brown with the green. Others are green. And it comes out and it does a anti-clockwise circle and it enters the big house floor. And it always has its arm in front of its face as it goes forward, its left arm, and then its right arm, and it's peeking twitching and moving like a little bird like I'm looking out my window at all my what I call my buzzard feeders for all my little dicky birds mm-hmm. and how they move and scurry so quickly when they look they don't just turn their head they snap their head up and down and all over right. that's how the bakus moves when you bring it to life in the big house potlatch floor and some families we make noise I'll put my finger under my ma- mask and I'll do that warbling whistle and it's just you know adds to the whole story of what an ancestor witnessed because that's what potlatch is they bring to life a happening a great event Mm -hmm. a unique sighting that an ancestor had and every family has brings out the bakwas so what we're saying is the kwakwakiwak lehwata tribes and families is we had an ancestor and this is what they witnessed they saw bakwas out on you know the forest Mm -hmm. or the bush or the beach so that's the native component to it. You know, it gives people a good idea now what we're talking about. Sure. Now, sure. Uh, now can I ask can you I as ask? well? Oh, I got a little bit of an echo there. Um, can I ask you as well is this is uh, often perceived as a very real entity though as well, right? So there's the moral the moral um, code that it teaches you or the, the medicine the bookwas gives you, but it is also perceived as an actual creature, correct? Oh, absolutely. Mm. You know, there's so many, even in this modern day, there's still sightings of it. Right. You know, whether it's from a different plane, like the spiritual realm, a different realm or whatever, I don't know. But right. just to say that it comes from the forest, well, that's a different realm than what we're accustomed to living in. We're living in cities nowadays. We have all these small little hair covered in most cases creatures you know that are mischievous and you know take children in some cases but 
a lot of bad to it in North America. Like a lot of the native tribes won't even speak about the little people. That's the interesting thing. And, and as you describe it, it almost has that same definition around the world for most of these little people. And that is mischievous um, that they try to lure you away. I mean, you hear about that with, with uh, several stories of the, of the, like the fake, excuse me, the Fae from over in old Europe and stuff that they would lure children away and take them away to their village. And it, and it's so interesting that those themes are played out again in cultures around the world that, that traditionally didn't have any contact with each other until much more recent times. Well, the way I look at it right now, I think we're one big, uh, what do you call those glass plates you put under a microscope? Yeah. Like a, like a Petri dish. Yeah. Petri dish. I think the earth as a whole is one big test by some mm -hmm. being that came here. You know, I just read today that, uh, they're finding the DNA that they're doing tests on from the pharaohs. It doesn't look like it's from Earth origin, from our funny? genetic code. Wow. You know, and then we have the Paracas skulls from South America. We even have the elongated skulls here in north, northwestern Vancouver Island, Coscomo, mm. the Coscomo skull. You know, we have them and, you know, our anthropologists have seen them and so forth and recorded them that even my tribe was elongated skulls back in the day so everything's looking like you know someone's done some tomfoolery on planet earth how can you have gnomes from europe and the gnomes from iceland you know that freeze the death trying to swim out there let alone being small trying to paddle a canoe or sail a boat i don't think so and yet they're found in the hawaiian islands as well throughout north america central america south america asia everywhere but antarctica i don't know about australia or but I do know that Orang Pendek is found around Indonesia and uh, what they used to call New Guinea, which is, I can't remember the name, what they call it now. But uh, yeah. we have all these small little hair covered, in most cases, creatures, you yeah. know, that are mischievous and, you know, take children in some cases. But a lot of bad to it in North America, like a lot of the native tribes won't even speak about the little people it's mm -hmm. taboo it's it's like hiss you know put the cross up because of a vampire we don't go there we don't discuss that mm -hmm. and if someone does see one it's a bad omen uh to quack walk people it's not good to see one you know like you know you talk to some of the people that have seen them and it was during a very bad time of crisis crisis within their life mm -hmm. so maybe one of my cousins he said well what do you think tommy i was struggling with my bukus they were all around me at that time. That's why I saw them. And now I've been so long clean and, you know, mm -hmm. leading a righteous path. So, you know, whether it was the, you know, a figment of his imagination, I don't think so. I think he truly was at that point where they saw weakness, you know, like, you know, I look at it reflects to one story and one of the Indian reservations here in Washington state. And just for the viewers, I am from Vancouver Island, but I'm at my Southern home in uh, the South of Seattle, Kent, Washington with my common law wife. But here in Washington state three years ago at the beginning or two years ago at the beginning of COVID during the spring, this young man was staggering home just before daylight. And all of a sudden he saw by the bushes and the grass, 
two big Sasquatches. They didn't look happy. And all of a sudden they ran at him and one grabbed him and ran him across the paved road and threw him into the ditch above the beach, shook him right up. He hasn't drank a drop of alcohol since. So (laughs) what do those creatures, whether it be Bukwus or Jonah or Sasquatch, pick up? Mm-hmm. Well, I heard a real interesting thing on Yellowstone, of all things, last night. Okay. When uh, Mr. Dalton was talking to a PETA animal lover, and he said, um, when are we going to learn to live with the environment and world mm-hmm. instead of living on it? So in other words, that's where we are nowadays as modern souls. We live on Earth. We don't live with it. And as we know with the Bukwus, it's from the forest realm. It's greenish colored. It hides behind things. It scurries. It hasn't been found so far. I've seen a few pictures which I sent you, which are, you know, questionable, but I'm pretty intrigued by them. And that painting especially really intrigued me because if you look at that painting I sent you, and hopefully you post it for the listeners to Mm -hmm. look at, it's a, what we call a Scotchman or a bladder. It's a reddish pink plastic balloon we use for commercial fishing and between our boats so they don't get damaged against other boats or docks. And apparently this guy in a sailboat up in southeast Alaska a few years ago who was a painter, he went ashore in his dinghy and he walked up and he saw that balloon on the beach above the high tide mark in the forest. And he thought, hey, to us, that's treasure. You know, you buy a brand new one, it's over $100, depending mm-hmm. on the size. Some of them go up to 300 bucks. So if you see something like that, it's treasure. It's like, hey, I can use that for my crab trap or my bumper or whatever. And uh-huh. he walked towards it. And where that boulder was, all of a sudden, these little hair-covered bipedal creatures with almost looking like they had big ears come scurrying out. And they had real sharp teeth. And they were chattering away. And they were showing that, no, we don't want you taking this balloon. This is our treasure. Well, that a guy apparently just jumped and ran down the beach, jumped in his dinghy, went back to the sailboat, and <laughs> I guess it haunted him so bad, he took paintbrush and canvas and painted what he saw. But when I saw that on the internet about a year and a half ago, it floored me, mm-hmm. because there was someone who wasn't a North American Indian painting what he saw, yet what he painted is exactly what our artists bring to life in wood of the depiction from the oral stories of a Bukwus, the little people. And with the, almost looks like it has big ears. Some people say it's almost like horns. You know, some families actually do put horns on it. It depends on the family and the artist. But, you know, with my family, it's sort of like that. Like it almost like it's got a big forehead on the side or ears or something. But, you know, it's just, it was so haunting to see that. Like here's this artist brought to life with a paintbrush what my people have been talking about since the dawn of our creation, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Now, also with this, do you think uh, when you hear stories of people coming across uh, what they believe to be Bigfoot, sometimes people see these smaller ones and assume it's a juvenile Bigfoot. Do you think that sometimes that's just a case of misidentification and it could be a Bukwas or a Stick Indian? Um, Exactly. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, totally. You hit the... Hammer hit the nail on the head with that one because when I hear some of them, as a Sasquatch investigator with Sasquatch Island and, uh, you know, and doing video production for TV and, and internet, 
I'm always doing like you, interviewing people. And I hear that. And I said, you sure it wasn't a stick person or little people? And then, you know, oh, no, no, no. It, it looked juvenile, the features and so forth. And then as a grizzly bear and black bear hunting guide for over 24 years, I always ask the question, what was the hair like? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really mm-hmm. spiky. And there's one picture of a juvenile Sasquatch, unless it's a human in a costume. But anyway, it's you look at this supposed juvenile Sasquatch, I probably times three on the internet. I can uh, think of three probable juvenile Sasquatches that are out there. Mm. And their hair is like a porcupine, spiky. Oh. Because when you see a grizzly bear and you haven't seen one before, it's the biggest grizzly bear in the world. It was an eight-footer. It was massive. It was this. I'm like, oh, come on now. It was porcupine. It's a juvenile. Oh. It's got hair sticking all over. Like our kids, you know, parents. Sure. We brush our kids' hair. My daughter had huge Indian hair and still does. <laughs> when she was young, man, if I didn't spend 45 minutes untangling and brushing, man, she looked like a little cave woman running around out there. <laughs> you know, Indian hair is like that. So sure. animals are like that as well. Their hair is all over. And with the supposed juvenile Sasquatch photographs I've seen, that spiky hair. But in a few occasions when I've asked the person, what was the hair like? Oh, it's like a monkey. It was really like oily and glistening. And it was really tight to its body and formed. And I said, yeah, what was the hair like on the head? Uh, Who would you have a celebrity? Who would you compare their hair to? Gene Simmons. But it was a little bit oilier. And I'm like, okay. And right away, when I, I've heard that twice with people, mm-hmm. explaining what they saw with a small four and a half foot tall Sasqu- Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. Well, right there, I told them, no, that was a bakus. That was the small one. Mm-hmm. And when you said the hair was oily, that's why the Freeman footage of a supposed Sasquatch rest his soul, I don't think it's a real deal because they're massive bipedal creatures. But their hair is very spiky all over the place, too synthetic, too unkempt. Mm. And when you see an orangutan, a mountain gorilla, a chimpanzee, a monkey, a human who's been out in the bush for over 10 days without a shower or bath, oily, tight to the body and form and flowing hair. Mm. And that's, you know, even with the bookless, that's one of the things as an investigator, I really, you know, I don't pry deeply, but I ask in a roundabout way so they can explain me what they saw. And that's where I can say, no, I think it was a juvenile, not a juvenile Sasquatch, but a little person, a bookless you saw. Mm-hmm. So, so as a, as a, you said they were guardians of the spirit realm and stuff. Uh, and you said that they come from the, the forest realm um, they are still a physical creature, but do you, do, are you saying that they basically have a foot in both worlds that they can either be a spiritual presence or they can be a physical presence or, or how would you translate that? Well, number one, I'm a critterist, so I always stay on that side of the fence. Sure. I don't ever sure. hop on top of it, you know, so unless I pray to God, yeah. but, uh, <clears throat> being a critterist and with the evidence that I've gathered so far, it's like the other one photograph I sent you. I have three more photographs that I'm not allowed to share. Mm-hmm. But up in northern Alaska on the coastal inland area, they have a lot of little people up there, just south of Nome oh, and yeah. uh, about 60 miles south of Nome and beyond. And these people came across on a riverbank, that little structure with that f- couple fish in there. Well, 
everyone knows that, you know, you can dry fish if the weather's right. And you can tell it's very sunny, it's, uh, the, the way the grasses are and the foliage. It was a really hot time. So it's, you know, stands to reason that something was drying fish in that little structure. The fish, mind you, is only about four inches long. Mm-hmm. And the structure itself is maybe eight inches high. Oh, wow. So when you look at that, you know, Right away when I saw that, no animal would do that other than a human or another bipedal creature. And then right there, if it's from the spiritual world, like a lot of people when they say Sasquatches are from the spiritual world and I roll my eyes and shake my head in disbelief, well, why are they eating, leaving tracks, defecating, making nests? You know, they're critters. So Bukwus harvesting fish and i've heard other stories of them harvesting other foods as well bugs and grubs so to, and in british columbia's coastal region someone went up one time and saw a bugus said it was a little old man was ripping his rotten log apart and eating the wiggly grubs out of it wow. what do you do what do you think i did i turned and got the hell out of there i didn't want to be around the bugus <laughs> But, you know, if, if a bequest is eating, he's not from the spiritual realm. Because if you're from the spiritual realm, if I was from the spiritual realm, I'd be eating Dungeness crab, king crab, and filet mignon every day with cinnamon rolls. Right. Just with a snap of my finger because I'm from the spiritual realm. I can make things happen magically. So to me, they're critters. Mm-hmm. And I just heard scurrying noise. I stopped winding and I looked around, smelled right away. And that's when I caught it. Anises, licorice, black licorice. As soon as I smelled that, the hair on the back of the sides of my head just stuck up. I thought, uh-oh, bukwus. That's very interesting, and, and I, I, I think that's... there. The uniqueness of it is that there is an actual creature that exists, but there's also a morality that is tied into that. But one doesn't doesn't necessarily describe the other. There just seem to be like two natures of this symbol of the buckwas. You know that it is a it is a lesson and it teaches you how to live better. But as I've talked to you before, I, I've been always fascinated by the way that you derive lesson from everything. What is the Sasquatch teaching? What is the forest teaching? And I, and I think that's beautiful because I think there are lessons in all parts of life if we can look for them. So I, I really appreciate that you bring that to the table and, and uh, have put that out there. Well, like the great wise man, Mr. Dutton from Yellowstone said last night on TV, you know, we got to learn to quit living on the earth. We need to live with it, mm-hmm. you know. And what is an Indian? What is a rancher? I found that out last night when I was listening to those old cowboys. I thought, dang, them boys, they got her dialed in like us engines. They're in tune with Mother Nature and the world around them. They really do care about it, you know, whereas, you know, a lot of people, especially the vegan pitaites, you know, they'll, you know, cast stones like they did last night at the ranchers. Mm-hmm. But in turn, you know, they're casting stones from glass houses. You know, everything they do kills and destroys Mother Earth. And yet they condemn someone because they raise beef or or are a carnivore, an omnivore. And that's wrong. That's where we have to be more in unity. You know, like uh, Sasquatches, we know they eat everything. They're omnivores. Bukwus, omnivore. Mm -hmm. And so... 
you know, we don't hear stories about them, you know, having warfare. I've never heard of one story about the little people fighting one another. I've never heard a story about Sasquatches other than what it looked like mating, fighting, like bears oh. and every other animal does to be the top dog, so to speak, to be able to be the one to spread the seed and the genetic code and strengthen the herd, you know. But, you know, we don't see any evidence of the other bipedal creatures in North America warring one another. Yet we do. Yeah. You know, how many wars can we bang off in 10, mi 10 minutes, you know, that yeah. have taken place in North America? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that, and that is true. I, I suppose that any battling was done over the needs of survival, not over uh, a vanity or whatever that a lot of our human wars seem to be fought around. Um, but have you ever seen... Well, I, I don't know if, you, if you've already addressed this or not, but have you ever seen a buckwas or at least seen sign of them as you're out living rough? In, when I was living in Bush, and for some of you listeners, I lived in there for over 20 some odd years. I still go to Bush as much as possible and uh, consider myself a modern day Bushman. But while I was living out in north, off northeastern Vancouver Island in my traditional territories, my water Harley was my speedboat with a 60 horse Merc, 18 foot aluminum. And I went everywhere mm -hmm. and I had my guns with me, had my fishing gear and I could, my sleeping bag and my tarp and I could live anywhere. And I did. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one time, uh, some people were leaving and they had a wind up graph machine that registered, registered the volume of water by level going down this little salmon bearing mm -hmm. Creek. And they said, hey, Tom, we'll pay you a few dollars if you go up there and, you know, change the round duck back waterproof paper graph, which was like an LP, big record, mm -hmm. and crank up the key again and lock her back up. And you got to do it once every week for three times while we're gone on our summer holiday. I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. So the first time I went in there, I went stupidly. I went at low tide <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. It's like quarter mile up to where that box that plywood boxes up the creek coming the flats so mm -hmm. i had to carry all my my painter line i was using my halibut long line which you know is very long so it was a big coil weighed about 40 pounds and because this beach was so flat i didn't know how long i was going to be up there i didn't want my boat drifting out so i tied it up to my painter line i started paying out this line and then i tied it to the tree and then i walked up the creek and uh, of course i left my gun in the boat you know, because I was packing that rope and I didn't expect any grizzly bears or anything. I had my bear spray and I had my big pig sticker knife uh -huh. on my side and I walked up the creek and I was just looking around for tracks, make sure there was no grizz or, you know, I would never thought of Sasquatch when I lived in bush and I see the box and I get up to it and I'm checking the gravel sands, making sure there's no grizzly track. I get to the box, take the key out, open it up, pull the graph off put the new one in and check the ink to make sure it was, you know, past the low mark, which it was, and put the key in. I started cranking it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in between my cranks, you could hear the <laughs> in between the cranks, I hear this <laughs> through the bushes. I'm Ooh. talking, you know, huckleberry bushes, mm -hmm. four foot high thimbleberry bushes, uh, sword fern, which is probably about five feet high. And I just heard scurrying noise and I stopped winding and I looked around, smelled right away. Mm -hmm. And that's when I caught it. Anasis. 
licorice, black licorice. It's a licorice fern we have. As soon as I smelled that, my hair on the back of the sides of my head just stuck up. I thought, ew, because because the old people say if you smell licorice, anisus, licorice fern roots in the forest and you hear something and don't feel too good it usually means buckwuss is there and i'm like oh god and i'm like crank 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 i crank the hell out of that thing threw the key in the box slammed the lid put the lock on and i turned around and there over my trackway coming up were little five-toed footprints about i would say maybe four inches four and a half inches long oh, to five wow. inches and a couple sets and i'm just like Jesus! And all of a sudden, that <laughs> whole bank just—you hear this ta -ta -ta -ta, ta -ta -ta, something chattering back and forth. And all of a sudden, the bushes erupted, and they weren't going away from me. They were like spreading out around me, and I was just like, "Jesus!" And I just turned, and man, I swear, if you went back and looked at my footprints, they were probably twenty feet apart because I was booking it. <laughs> Grabbed my line, untied it, ran down the beach as fast as I could. This left the line on the ground. You know, it's it's what thickness of a pencil, so it's not very big, sure. but it's very strong, long line with a lead core for halibut fishing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I jumped in the speedboat, push it off. Thank God it didn't dry up. I got there as the tide was rising a bit, and once I was able to put my motor down, pushing with oars, I put it in reverse and I backed straight out as far mm -hmm. as I could. And then I pulled the painter line in, which was probably about 100 yards long. <laughs> I did not want to be on that beach with those bookquests. So did I see them? No. I saw where they were because I could see their, I guess you could say their pathways as the mm -hmm. thimbleberries and the ferns were all moving as they're scurrying about. And there's half a dozen of them there. And I saw two different sets of tracks over my trackway in that soft sands and pea gravel. So... You know, they're definitely there. And I smelt the anisus, you know. Yeah. Wow. You know, right away, I went home and I sweet grass and sage smudge because I'm half Cree Indian as well. My mother's full-blooded Cree Indian from the plains. I did that and I offered tobacco and, you know, I did all my little jube jubes there. So I get rid of the bad omen that was around me and, you know, nothing did happen to me. I didn't die or drown or anything. Sure. Wow. I got close to the bookless. That's all I know. And I never want to be close to them again. So it is like, if you see them, you can, as you were saying, it's an omen. So did, does that usually mean like traditionally, does that mean that a, a death will be coming or does it just mean bad luck or does it mean any number of things just negative? Any number of things negative, depending okay. upon the tribe. Some believe it's an omen of death. Some believe it's a harbinger of something bad's going to happen. Others, it's a message that, hey, dude, you're screwing up. You better get back on track here. You better quit smoking what you're smoking or drinking what you're drinking or spending right. your money gambling mm -hmm. the way you are. You better get your life in order, which I did because back then, you know, I wasn't the – purest of souls so to speak <laughs> i was a pirate back in those days and i remember it set me on the straight pathway you know i think the oh. cigarettes were the only thing i was doing for the, about a week or two weeks and i left my beer alone and my rum you know it's just like eh, behave yourself you don't need a drink you were close to book was maybe just stick to your tobacco now do you think that 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 people that do see them are, are possibly attracting them because of the problems they're having? I mean, is that is that correlate or is it just a chance kind of thing? A dog can tell how you're feeling, mm -hmm. what kind of a person you are. Sure. 
they some can even smell and tell you you have cancer. Mm-hmm. And so if a dog can do that, you know, animals don't forget. Animals right. pick up on the littlest things. I can walk in the house like uh, while a couple of weeks ago, I was pretty annoyed at some things that were happening on my telephone outside. And when I walked in the house, man, that cat was just ping, upstairs and gone. Mm. It picked up on my vibe. So someone who's buggered up, you know, how many family members do we have, you know, that will look you in the eye and go, what's wrong with you, boy? Yeah. The hell are you doing that garbage for? Mm-hmm. You smarten up. You end up putting you six feet under. You keep on the path you're on. They never saw you do what you're doing. Right. They might heard it through mocks and telegraph gossip, but they saw <laughs> it in you and they didn't hold back as a family member. They give you a verbal cat of nine tails and a smack upside the head real good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the book is. It's your kicking ass of reality that, you know, you by your smell, your persona, your aurora or whatever you want to call it around you, mm-hmm. it picked up on that and it feeds on your weakness of humans it dwells upon your insecurity your fear your weakness of giving into that crutch so to speak no matter what it is and you know is it did they pick you up spiritual no i'm a critterist i think it was like a dog they sense something more than most humans can sense sure I think that's a brilliant explanation because I, I agree. Dogs, dogs can tell the nature of a person, and and you can tell the nature of a person just by how their dog acts because it, oh, yeah. it mirrors that that behavior. And so, uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that these things probably can just sense when that bad juju is in the air, and maybe they get drawn in by it. Yeah, well, it's like me in my neighborhood. I'm known as the the you know a few neighborhoods I've lived on it was the camo Indian because I always wore camo that's what the Canadians call military yeah. bush garb because I was a hunting guide for decades I wore it sure. I remember back in the mid nineties people would say what do you want to be army man I'm like no I'm a grizzly bear hunting guide that's why I wear this camouflage gear sure. and oh sorry you know I'd be in a strip <laughs> joint having a beer and someone would think hey you GI Joe wannabe I'm like no I hunt grizzly bears for a living what do you do there sunshine <laughs> well, work at the pulp mill <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I wear camel. What do you wear at the pulp mill so you don't get it, you know, gives you a better chance at work yeah. so you don't get injured? Mm. Well, we're a hard helmet and high vis vest so I don't get run over. Sure. Yeah, and you're trying to freaking question me for wearing camel? Right. What's wrong with you, boy? While you're going up there, grab me a beer too for trying being so offensive. <laughs> Next thing you know, they come over and give you your new beer. <laughs> oh, you're Christopher Hunting Guide, eh? Mm. That's that persona. I'm wearing what I want to wear. And, you know, it's just uh, people, you know, we can act like that. Mm -hmm. I can act like a Sasquatch and go rogue real quick. Mm -hmm. I can act like a bagus. And, you know, what's wrong with you, boy? Mm -hmm. How many times I told you to quit smoking that crack pipe? Look at you. You look like death. You're all Mm -hmm. gray, sunken eyes. You're starting to look like a bagus now. Mm -hmm. Even skittering around and monkey dancing like a little jacked up monkey, just like the bagus does. And, you know, gee, you're right, Tom, maybe I better go to detox. Mm -hmm. I'll do something. Otherwise, I'll be throwing the first couple scoops of gravel on your casket, you dumbass. (laughs) You know, we got to act like bookless as well. Yeah. Oh, that's very true. And again, I really appreciate the the other side of it that you bring to the table. And there's a a lesson in all of this. And, And rightfully so. 
I think that, you know, we do have symbols and signs throughout our life that teach us and remind us of things. And I think that, that that's beautiful. And it's, you know, you're reminded, I know I'm reminded of it when I go to potlatch and, you know, God, I can't wish this COVID ends soon so we can start potlatching again. Yeah. But yeah, going you watch all the dances, but Bukwes has always been my favorite. Like, uh, um, Sasquatch Island, if you go to my Facebook group and ask to join and scroll down, you will come to the Bukwes. And my favorite one is, uh, he's no longer with us. He was, uh. Lehuata Kwakwakiwak from Campbell River, uh, Mr. Mark Henderson. He was a phenomenal artist and he really broke, um, I guess you could say, our native art into the modern realm because he went to art school, number one, I heard. And his stuff is all over in the galleries back in the day. And, you know, after his passing, of course, all the collectors and gobbled it up, you can't hardly find them. Sure. But he was the best book was and Junakwa artist that I know of on painting with acrylics. Mm. And you'll see it in Sasquatch Island. You can go there, email me. I can even send you some pictures or private message me. I can share with you a lot of his art. And that's what I try to, you know, replicate in the, my art. A lot of people see my native art. And, you know, I'm nowhere near the caliber Mark was as an artist. But, you know, I'm trying and mm-hmm. I'm not going to give up because I'm not as good as him. But, you know trying to capture that and that's what mark did was he captured the oral stories about you watch out when you go clam digging mm-hmm. yeah you make sure you go up to the beach and make sure there's no broken cockle shells a type of shellfish that has ripples on its uh, shell if they're piled up like you were talking about earlier with the Miss- mississippi river and the mollusks down there piled up it's mm-hmm. the sasquatch telling you i am harvesting here right now you human Go half a mile either side of me and harvest down there. Don't come tramping in my turf while I harvest my shellfish. Mm-hmm. So that's what you watch for for the Sasquatch, the Junaha. If you don't see any broken shells, and you know, you tell I remember one time when I was a teenager, I went clam digging, I came down from the high water mark and I said, Yeah, there's no broken cockle shells, so we can dig here tonight. And then that night when the tide was low and we went ashore with the uh rowboat and the lanterns and you're digging away and all the old timer there, you know, stops and oh, smell that. Smells like the bukwuss around. Oh, got to be careful. Mm-hmm. You know, bukwuss favorite food is chali. That's our word in our tribal language, aquaquila, for cockle. The favorite food of the bukwuss is chali, the cockle. And when you see the dancers in the regalia in our ceremonial big houses come onto the dirt floor and bring to life what that family's ancestors saw. You'll see them reach out with their hands and dig in the soil. They'll reach out with their feet and dig like with their toes. Mm-hmm. Because to say the bush comes down and he's hiding behind his arm and he's digging with one arm or else he's digging with his toes looking around because he's small. You got to remember he's small. Mm-hmm. His enemies are probably everything from the raccoon right up to the grizzly bear and the what do you call it, uh, cougars and wolves, eagles, everything's going to try to take them out. That's why Bukwus is coming out at night on the beach for shellfish. You don't want the eagle to get them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think anyway, my theory. Mm-hmm. But you got to watch out for the Bukwus when you're out shellfish digging because he's out there too looking for his favorite food, the jolly, the cockle. And that's what Mark Henderson has brought to life in his art. And you'll see that in his art. You can even type in 
um, Mark Henderson, native Indian artist, and you'll see his pictures in Google Images. They're beautiful Bukwas wow. renditions in Chonakwan. The Bukwas ones are of the Bukwas on a beach at low tide, and you'll see how he's even incorporated the cockle shell into his painting, as well as the spits from the clams on the beach mm. and the moonlight and everything. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, also a phenomenal artist is our guest today, Mr. Tom Seawood. If you go to Sasquatch Island on Facebook, you can see some of his work, and it's brilliant. It's beautiful. It's just so alive and, and electric with <laughs> with the culture, with the story, and uh, there's so much to see. And you do sell your work as well, isn't that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. a lot of – I work with uh, – sasquatchlegend.com they okay. have a new store in forks washington we did the murals there me and my wife a month and a half ago mm -hmm. uh, but they're online you just go sasquatchlegend.com you'll see a lot of uh, my art incorporated in everything from coffee cups to t-shirts mm -hmm. and i hear as of yesterday he's getting into everything else water bottles playing oh, cool. cards gift cards you name it if it's got a sasquatch logo on it you're gonna probably see my art on it because that's what he's gonna expand into Brilliant. and i sell through there and then also i can people best ways get a hold of me i can make you duplicate duplicates out of the printer of my stuff and i charge reasonable like if someone wants an original yeah those are 25 dollars an hour us less 10 or 15 percent uh, thank you for buying from me fee I call it <laughs> but you know you're looking at upwards of 40 hours for some of these paintings so you know they're kind of pricey you know 500 to 750 and then uh, the prints I can sell for as low as 100 bucks and uh, plus the shipping of course and mail anywhere in North America Sasquatch Island excellent and and Tom once again thank you so much for coming on and and for the not only the enrichment uh, about the different beings, but I don't know, the moral, the moral beauty of what you're sharing and stuff is so awesome. And I can't thank you enough for doing it on the show here. No problem. Thank you very much. And for the listeners out there, please go to Sasquatch Island on Facebook and uh, follow what I'm doing and join up. And I'd like to hear from you and your encounters, especially if you saw a bus, a little people stick person. But in our language, Oculus Land. Go in peace. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash paranormal portal radio, as well as finding us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at paranormal portal, P-O-R-T-L. And uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. we got hundreds of shows, Journeys into the Paranormal Portal. So I hope you'll check it, check it out, guys. We're over there at YouTube.com slash Paranormal Portal. So hope to see you guys soon. Uh, we'll be back, of course, for more podcasts in the coming days. So we love you all. Be good, be kind, be nice. Take care of each other. Help each other out. Find the magic in every day and remember to laugh as much as you can.